verse after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The word of the Lord. The Gospel of our Lord according to St. John. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Let me pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for, for you. Uh, we thank you that you give us your word, that you reveal yourself to us. We ask that as we look into your word that we would meet you this morning, that you would bring clarity to our mind and to our hearts, uh, that you would speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so I invite you uh, to take your, your bulletin, and uh, on the inside front cover, you'll find at the top of the page uh, something that many of us have probably heard before. Uh, it's, it's our mission of our church community. Uh, our mission is to see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. And it, we're going to be looking at our reading this morning. It's uh, from the Psalms, actually. So it's a, it, it's a little bit different than what we normally do. Uh, we're going to be looking at, at Psalm 29. And Psalm 29 is actually an attempt to describe the beauty of God. It, it's a poem, and it contains a lot of theology. Uh, theology is simply just words about God. But it's not like a, a systematized theology. It's, it's not like actually the creed that Josh read at the beginning of our time. We're actually almost doing things a little bit flipped. We had this, this kind of systematized creed that, that we looked at. 
now we're actually looking at a psalm. We're looking at poetry. Uh, I guess the author of our psalm, King David, uh, finds that elaborate poetry is maybe the best way to, to communicate who God is. So we have this poem about God, and the message is actually deceptively simple. God, the Lord, he's a king. God is a leader. And the response to such a leader is to worship him. But what kind of king is God? What kind of leader is he? We've all encountered leaders in our own lives. Some of us are considered leaders ourselves, whether it's at work or our community or our home or there's sports teams, there's politics, you know, leaders we find everywhere. But not all leaders are good leaders. And I'm not necessarily talking about competency, although that's an important part of being a leader. What I'm talking about is character. Not all leaders are women and men of character. So if you think about our culture, think about the leaders. Uh, This week, uh, there was both the NBA Finals and the NHL Finals. And so I apologize if you're not a sports person. Uh, but, But if you are, there was the NBA Finals, the NHL Finals, and they both went to the the deciding seventh game, the winner-take-all. And and if you you follow sports, you you notice that there's always a lot of talk about the character of the athletes. And and there's plenty of examples of good and bad character on display. There's some athletes that are just known as they're kind of the bad boys, and there's some, some athletes that are just known as This is a leader. This is a guy that everyone else will just lay it down for to follow. So so there's lots of examples on display. Uh, I'm thinking about sports because I I work for a ministry called Street to Street here in the city. And what we do during the summer is we actually run three-on-three basketball tournaments for youth. And uh, part of what we do is at the end of the tournament, we hand out trophies. Uh, We'll have first-place trophies. We'll have MVP trophies, but the big trophy that we hand out, the one that we make the biggest deal about is what we call the character award. And it's by far the biggest trophy that's on the table. And when we lay them out, there's always kids who come up and they'll just come up and be like, yo man, I want that one. You know, they, they point to that and they're like looking at it, they're plotting about it and they, they start calling out on it. And I guarantee that pretty much every time that kid never gets the trophy. It it just never happens because the trophy is about character. And uh, and it's the kid who demonstrates the best character throughout the day gets the award. And it's usually the kid who's making his team better around them. He's the one who's calling out on on his teammates, cheering them on. He treats the refs with respect. He leads by example. He makes everyone around him better. And so it's not just about skills, as important as those are. So if you think about the leaders that are around you, you think about corporate leaders, or we have political leaders, we have church leaders, and and it's sad how many scandals are just, that's the news of the day, right? You almost expect it every time you you read the paper, you you go online or something, there's something going on. We remember the good and the bad leaders. We remember 
whether they have good or bad character, but it's those with good, with solid character that we commemorate. At least hopefully that's, those are the ones. It's not the, the leaders who demand loyalty and walk all over everyone else that we remember fondly years and years later. It's the one whose lives and actions contributed to the well-being of others, and those are the people we lift up. So as we look at our psalm this morning, we're looking at a poetic representation of the character of God. It's a poetic journey that takes us from heaven to earth in the spiritual realm, and it takes us geographically from the north to the south in the physical realm. And as we journey, we're going to focus on three characteristics of God. His holiness, his power, and his generosity. And I I want to read the whole psalm here as as we dig in, uh, since the reading before was kind of split up as we were singing. Uh, And the liturgy that we have written down is is slightly different than, than, than a lot of translations. So if you do have a Bible, I invite you to follow along. It's uh, Psalm 29. I'll be reading it in the ESV. Psalm 29, a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as a king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So first, God's holiness. We start out in our psalm in God's heavenly temple in verses 1 and 2. It's not immediately evident, but the heavenly beings present give us a clue to the setting. We have a court assembled before God, and David the psalmist is so overcome by God's presence that he starts speaking to the assembling, exhorting them to worship God. He's urging them to use all of themselves, both mind and heart. The repetition of the word ascribe speaks to the mind, trying to find words to honor God with. And the word worship takes those words and draws our whole being into the act. It's actually kind of a humorous picture. There's this human being so caught up in the presence of God that he's telling the angels to do what they already do most of the time. That's their job. But at the heart of this vision laid before David is, is God's holiness. It's a way of saying God is other than us. He's set apart from us. He's distinct from his creation in a way that he cannot be corrupted or manipulated or deceived. But even as he's distinct from his creation, God's not distant. He interacts with his creation. 
He's not detached. So God's holiness consists of his complete distinction from us combined with his presence to us. And since God does not change, we're called to respond to his amazing being by worshiping him. So the psalm starts off with God's holiness drawing us to the heavenly realm to worship him, but it doesn't stay there for long. In fact, most of the psalm, verses 3 to 9, brings us down to earth very quickly. And the driving metaphor that we are given is to, to describe this is that of a thunderstorm. It's this storm that highlights God's power. We have God's holiness, now we have God's power. Thunderstorms. Have you ever been caught in a thunderstorm? Like, I mean, uh, a really powerful thunderstorm. It's kind of cool in the city when you get a thunderstorm blowing through, you hear it echoing off the buildings. But uh, there, there's some, some thunderstorms, you know, it's the wind, it's the rain, the thunder, the lightning. Some of the really bad ones, there's hail, there's tornadoes that, that spin off of them. I grew up in Canada in, in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And we'd get some really incredible thunderstorms that would blow off the mountains and sweep over the plains towards where I lived in Calgary. You could actually see the thunderstorms building over the mountains and see them sweeping in and kind of anticipate these thunderstorms coming in. My, my first job out of college uh, in Calgary there was as an electronics technician. And part of that job involved maintaining the sound system in, uh, in what's called the grandstand in the Calgary Stampede. So there's a horse racing track there's this big grandstand that seats about 17,000 people. And, uh, and this one summer, somebody in our department really messed up and they blew every speaker in the grandstand in the roof there. So, so my supervisor and I had the task of replacing every single speaker in the grandstand. So we had to crawl up on the roof, so it's about seven or eight stories up, and start replacing all these hatches. And the roof is actually all just uh, sheet metal. It's, it's a bad place to watch thunderstorms. So uh, we were up there and, and you'd have this amazing view of the mountains, you'd have this amazing view of the thunderstorms building up and each afternoon when it was hot enough these thunderstorms would roll in and we would be working on the, these speakers and we'd look out and be like, okay there's a thunderstorm, okay it's far enough off we can finish what we're doing and get down. And, I think we got a little cocky because uh, one afternoon we looked out and we saw this thunderstorm brewing and it was like, okay, we're almost done. We can get this going. We're trying to, trying to fix everything. And the thunderstorm blew in on us. So we're standing on the sheet metal roof and lightning strikes across the street. And we just, we're just like, okay, we got to get out of here. And so we rushed. We're trying to bolt down stuff so it's not flying off and rush to the, the, the center hatch reach up to close down the hatch and lightning strikes right on the other side uh, of the grandstand. And so slam down, down the hatch and we're just like, okay, it's break time, <laughs> we're just going downstairs. So we go downstairs and just as we'd gotten down, down to the, the, the bottom, there's this incredible sound, this bright flash, all the power goes off in the building and the fire alarms go off. It turns out that lightning had hit the grandstand roof right where we'd been standing a couple minutes before. And, and so we went out uh, on the, 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 the tarmac underneath there and, and looked at what had happened after the, this lightning strike. And what had happened is it had hit the 
the edge, the, the sheet metal and the concrete, and blown out a huge chunk of the ceiling, of, 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 of the roof. And it was scattered all over the ground. And so I went over and I picked up these big chunks of concrete that were still smoldering. And there you could actually trace patterns of the lightning through the concrete that they were charred black. And, and, and it, was, it was just this, this experience of like, wow, the power, that's just, that's just one lightning strike. It what at least thunderstorms that 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 blow through. So so the the these just the, the immense power of the storm left us shaking, and, and it's this immense awesome power of a thunderstorm that is used uh, to help us see what God's power is all about in our psalm. If we we look back at the text, if we look at at Psalm or uh, at verse three. We see that there's this storm that starts out over the waters. And this is a reference to the Mediterranean Sea. There's this storm brewing out there and then it blows in over the land. And the storm we are told is the voice of the Lord. So just the Lord's voice is this powerful. The voice of God that created everything. Here we're reminded of the book of Genesis where in chapter one, the Lord creates just by speaking things into existence. We're also reminded that in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters, just as the Lord here starts out over the face of the waters. The sea was a symbol of chaos in the ancient world, and God's presence over it highlights his mastery over the chaos. And we see that a little bit in our other reading in Revelation 4, where the sea is as still as glass before the throne of God. So the Lord's voice thunders, we're told in verse 3. This thunderstorm moves quickly inland from the north, and it breaks the strong cedars of Lebanon. There's a big forest. The great forests are no match for the voice of the Lord. Sirion, we're told, it's another name for a mountain, Mount Hermon. This mountain skips like a young wild ox fleeing the storm. This immense power of God is blowing through the land goes on down, through, down to verse 7, where we're introduced, but with lightning that shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The storms moved south, having passed through all of Israel down into the desert regions below. And so we have God's holiness and his power on display, moving with this furious force until he ends up, in verse 9, in a temple on the earth, where all cry out, glory. Now, if we pause here for a moment, Think about what's your reaction to God's holiness and God's power on display here? Is it worship? Or, do, or does it bring up more questions for you? Some might say that this looks like a God with questionable character here. What kind of being demands worship and then puts on an intimidating display of power? You might be questioning the goodness of God here. So we have a choice that's before us. Does, does God's holiness and his power draw you towards him in worship? Or does it drive you away from him? I think what often happens here is that we can embrace a partial understanding of who God is. There's more to come in our psalm about the, God's character, and it's important. But if we just take God's holiness and power that we have seen up to this point here, a pretty normal response to God would be fear. In fact, this is a pretty normal response of pretty much 
all the people in the Bible who come into God's presence. It's fear. And it starts with the first people, with Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned, and their response is hiding from God in fear. So think about the ways that we hide from God. We hide in our work. We hide in our play, our entertainment, and our hobbies. We hide in gaining the latest, greatest experience. Or we hide in what we're really competent at. Or we hide in our vices. You know what yours are. I know what mine are. We have this way of embracing certain parts of who God is and rejecting other parts of his character in a way that justifies what we are doing in our own eyes. We rationalize our vices that chip away at good character. Or we choose to conceive of a God in a way that makes us feel better about ourselves. Or maybe we outright deny the existence of God. These are all ways of hiding. But we need this third characteristic of God here at the end of the psalm to be held together with his goodness and power. In verses 10 and 11, we find God's generosity is described. Verse 10 and 11 says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as a king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. God is, not, God is a God who does not sit back on his heavenly throne and demand worship after he engages in shock and awe field trips. He's a God who generously gives strength to his people. He blesses them with his peace. And this is the result of this heaven-to-earth movement of this psalm, God coming to earth. The temple's expanding into the neighborhood so strength and peace can be given to God's people. Peace, that, this is a word in, in the Hebrew, the word is shalom. And it's a sense of well-being that encompasses both body and soul, encompasses relationships with other people, and in relationships with all of creation. And it's centered on peace with God. Justice is dealt out, the king sits on his throne, and all is well. This is an image of peace and rest. God is enthroned over the flood. But here's the thing, and I, I think it's something that I struggle with. I think, think other people struggle with it, but it's hard to conceive of being, of God, of a being like God that is so holy and powerful, and yet at the same time is so peaceful and giving. And I think it's maybe because we rarely encounter this kind of person in our everyday lives. Particularly in my own family history, there's a lot of brokenness. On my mom's side, we're actually the descendants of indentured servants that replaced slaves in the Caribbean. And they were, they were replaced to work on sugar plantations. And this has left a long trail of brokenness among the men, especially in my family, many who died young, who were indentured servants, and many who, who lived longer ended up wielding power in very abusive ways. On my dad's side, my grandfather was an alcoholic. You know, there, there's a lot of power dynamics. You know, I've seen a lot of power used in the wrong ways, in harmful ways. 
And so the idea of power coexisting with peace is hard to envision and hard to embrace. And the temptation, my temptation, is that it's easy to jettison one and focus on the other. It's easier for me to just think about peace and not so much about power. But maybe you lean the other way. Maybe power is more alluring than peace. A God that's powerful is a God that fits more in line with how you want to live your life. But the thing is, no matter which way you lean, we need all of it when we look to, power, look to God. Power, peace, holiness, generosity. It's the whole package that makes God who he is. And so here's the good news in all of this. Here's where Jesus comes into all of this. Jesus is the one who translates this hard-to-grasp nature of God for us. And it's in our psalm. Psalm 29 begins with a call to give glory to God in the heavens. And it ends with a call for peace on earth. Now, does this sound familiar to anyone? In Luke chapter 2, there's angels that appear to the shepherds when Jesus is born. They're announcing the arrival of Jesus. We're in the Christmas story. And they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. We have this, this awe-inspiring glory to God in the highest. We have God bringing peace to his people. And it's centered ultimately in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God's final expression to us. He takes on our humanity. He draws us into the presence of God the Father. And he does this by confronting our fears. Our fears are rooted in our sin. And sin is that break in our relationship with God that needs to be repaired. Jesus' life on earth is about God coming to earth, sharing our human life, taking on all the sin that separates us from him and dealing decisively with it. He deals decisively with it by taking on all the ultimate effects of sin, death and separation from God, and he defeats it by dying himself and being raised from the dead. And that's why we need to confront our deepest fears. Because we, we take those fears and we bury those fears under all these other things, and we're forced to confront all those things when we're faced with the call to follow Jesus. We're faced with those things as we continue to, to follow Jesus, even if we followed him for a long time. As Jesus preached and he healed and he casted out demons and he called people to follow him. He walked right towards death and for some of us, death is our greatest fear. But Jesus walked right through it. He conquered death by dying, by being raised from the dead. And yet there's more. Jesus doesn't just deal with our fear and then leave us alone. That's where our gospel reading comes in, in John 16. We find that Jesus is promising that he'll send us his Holy Spirit. The presence of God by his Holy Spirit is also what this psalm is pointing us to. It's God's presence with us. The whole thrust of God coming to earth. God's with us. God empowers us by his very presence, by the Holy Spirit. God actually enables us to worship him. God gives us what we need to witness to the peace that will come when we can rest in who God is. So no matter where you are, 
if, if Jesus is new to you, or if you followed Jesus for years, the call is the same. We're called to worship God. We're called to worship the holy, powerful, and generous God who actually leverages his power to help us, to save us. We can't do it on our own. So God gives us himself to do what we can't do and so we can enjoy his presence. So I challenge you this week as, as you think about your life, as you think about the power that you have, the power you submit to, about your fears that you have, will you press in towards God? Will you press in towards Christ and press in towards worshiping him? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that, that you do not leave us on your own, that you give us your very self, that you draw us to your, yourself in worship. We ask that you would draw us deeper in that worship. We ask that you would draw us deeper to an understanding of you. We entrust ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.